I love the Lord. God is good. I know we all have our own testimonies and our own thoughts about how good God is. But man, oh man, God is good. And there are some days where I experience the goodness of God. And I just, you can't tell it all. You just know God is good. God is good. And I don't know if you look back over your life and you see where God has brought you from. And you think things over and say, man, God, you have brought me some ways. And he's not done with where he's taken you, but just when you look back and examine and and say, wow, how did I get here? You realize you didn't get here on your own. You got here by living a submitted life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do so, you will experience the goodness of God. When your heart is right and then you follow the Lord, you begin to see him do things that only he can do. Oh, my goodness. He is wonderful. The preacher that we um, was just listening to tonight, I, I wish we all will just take that or however God finds you, he will not leave you there. He will not leave you that way. And if that's true, then we will become more pliable to God because then we won't fight him. And we don't realize we fight God. God says, I, I got you now. Now, let me work in your life. But what we tend to do is, well, I don't like you working like that. And so we stop God from doing this in our life. We stop God from doing that in our life. And then we blame God for when things don't go right. How does that work? We stop God from doing what's best for us. And then when things go wrong, we blame God. Why didn't you do this, Lord? Hallelujah. Well, for the next few weeks... I feel um, um, the, 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 the way we need to go in our Bible studies will be twofold, or I can just break it down to just one thought. And the thought that I will break it down to is you and the church. So you'll see me teach from both sides. So last week we talked about fasting, that when you fast according to the way of the Lord, uh, you will begin to see the hand of God moving in your life because when God tells you to do something, he tells you what the result will be if you do what he tells you to do. And so if we fast the way the Lord say to fast, then we will get the result God say we will have. We can call our own fast and decide that I need to fast because something just don't feel right. Or I need to fast because I want to see something done. That's your fast. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just can't guarantee you that whatever you're fasting for will happen. But if you fast the way God say fast, I can guarantee you what God say will happen will happen. And that's kind of, you know, the the ways of the Lord in a nutshell that the church kind of I don't know, go back and forth in not really realizing that the easy way to live for God is just live for him his way. As opposed to I want to live for God, I want to go to heaven, but I just won't do this. I can't do that. And I can't do that. And so that's the hard way to live for God. 
is by trying to live for God, but doing what you feel you need to do. It just makes things a lot harder. But if you live for God the way he wants you to, things become so much easier and it's really fantastic. So in a nutshell, next few weeks, I'm going to talk about you and the church. And so you, we talked about last week how you should fast. Not saying you can't fast any other way. As I said, there are people that do the Daniel fast and, you know, other kind of fast. Um, but we talked about how God said if we fast that way, what will happen? And um, what will happen when you fast God's way is God will reveal to you his purpose. God will reveal to you the things that you ought to do reaching out to people that are less in a lesser position than you are. So if you really fast the way God wants you to fast, you will begin to see people a little bit differently if you fast the way God wants you to fast. Because then you'll see the need in people's life because God, that, that's what God fasts is about. So when you fast the way God wants you to fast, he begin to reveal to you that you need to go and do this for this person. You need to go and do this for that person. That's what his fast will do. His fast will reveal to you what his purpose is in certain areas. So go and do that. And so that's what God's fast will do. And that's why maybe we don't see a lot of people doing God's fast, because remember, we are a people that like to receive something for anything that we do. Uh, we, we are not a people that like to do stuff and say, I don't care what, um, uh, you know, I get or don't get. This is what I'm going to do because I love that person. I love the Lord. So tonight we're going to talk about um, the DNA of the church. We're going to talk about the DNA of the church. So we talked about how man should fast. Tonight we'll talk about a little bit about the church. Next week we'll go back to how you may um, or what God is requiring of you to do in your personal walk with him. And then next week we'll go back to talking about the second aspect of the DNA of the church. So there's a, about what four or five things that consist of the DNA of the church and we need to know it. And so let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. We're staying in the Word, so we want you to understand it's the Word of God that we're teaching and not man's ideology or man's thoughts. Acts chapter, chapter 2, verse number 36, and we're going to read from 36 through 47. And we take our time and read because we don't want to overlook the obvious. That's the first thing when you're reading your Bible. Don't overlook the obvious. And a lot of times when we're reading our Bible, we're reading it to get to something that we're familiar with. A lot of times we're reading our Bible to get to a part of the scripture that we're familiar with. And when we're reading it that way, what happens is we overlook something that God wanted us to understand. So when you're reading your Bible, what you want to do, obviously you pray first, and then you take your time, slowly go through the Word of God so you don't miss anything, so something may jump out to you differently than what you intended to see. So Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remember, I've told you when you look up 
um, the meaning of Lord and Christ. It means God and Messiah. So the word of the Lord came unto these men and women and said to them, just know that Jesus, whom you have uh, crucified, okay, God had made God and Messiah. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When your heart is right and you get called out, the proper response is, what do I need to do to fix this? When your heart is not right, you will ignore it or you'll come up with a lot of other things. But when your heart is right and you get called out, they got called out here. They were told that you crucified the one who came to save you from your sins and you crucified him. And when they heard that, the Bible said they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what can we do to make this right? That's when Peter said unto them, then Peter said unto them, repent. Okay, confess your sin and ask God's forgiveness. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A whole lot going on there. It says, repent, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness from the Lord. And be baptized. Baptized means to be submerged like burial underwater, not a sprinkle. Submerged in water. Not some of them, but all of them that were pricked in their heart and realized that they did wrong. How should you do it? You ought to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And why should you do it? So your sins could be removed. And then it says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Keep reading verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41 says, then they that gladly receive his word were baptized. So here we go again. When your heart is right and you're told that you did wrong, this is all with start out with the things of God. When when the preaching of the word of God or the reading of the scriptures come to you and you see that you have done something wrong. If your heart is right, you said, how do I make this right? And when you're told how to make it right, you don't do it because you're mad. You do it because you're glad that you can make it right. (laughs) That's what this says in verse 41. Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized. So when they were told that they did wrong, they did what they were supposed to do and they did it gladly. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So more people than just those people that were told what they did wrong, more people got baptized that day. Verse 42, 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Underline that. And fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 43. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. In case you're wondering what's going on there, I'll tell you in, in simple understanding. Why would somebody bring all of their stuff that they own into the church and then kind of distribute it equally? You know why? Because once you get God in your life the way you need to get him, the love of God begin to take a hold of you. And you know what you want to do? You want to make sure that the next person that's with you or that's 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 have the same belief like you, you want to make sure they're not struggling. They're not suffering. When you get God in you, the love of God begin to flow and you begin to be concerned about each other. So some people look at it to say, well, why they give it? No, they had concern one for another. When you get an understanding of who you are, well, who he is, and then who you are, and what you have done now to be linked with him, you understand the love of God, and that drives you to operate differently. So that's why they sold their possessions and goods were parted to every man. And they continued or and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They went to church every day. I wonder what will happen. You know, maybe it could work if we would be serious about it. If we will start church, we, we make sure we have church service every day, not Saturdays and Sundays at the same time, but every day. Have, I thought about this before, so this is not a, a new thought. That we can have church service every day at 6 a.m. from 6 a.m. to 7.30. They continuing daily in one accord in the temple. So just imagine before you go to work every day, you went to church. You think we would be living the way we live right now? You think we will feel the way we feel when we get to work today? You think we will be struggling as much as we struggle if every day before we go to work, we go to church. And then on Saturdays, before we go do our chores and do our running around, we go to church. And Sunday, obviously, we go to church. What if we went to church every day? Those are thoughts that we don't get to our mind, huh? But they continued every day. Because I started, I started pondering it when I saw it. I said, well, hold on. You know, I try to think like some people think. I said, hold on. Because you know how some people do. Well, this is just a different time. We read some things in the Bible and just to dismiss it so we don't have to figure out we, we got to do it. We just say, oh, that's just a different time. And it is a different time. But anything you put your mind to and work at it, you can get it done. And so I wonder what it would be like if we went to church seven days a week. We'll let Saturday and Sunday services be a little bit longer. But, you know, we try to be. You know, a certain time on Monday through Friday because we understand everybody have to go to work. Mostly everybody have to go to work. I wonder what would that be? I know what it would be. Still, we'll just have a few showing up because now, you know how we do. Now that we go to church seven days a week, oh, I can miss some for real now. I can miss some days now. 
Uh, I don't know. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. A lot of stuff going on there. And we'll pick it apart over the next few weeks because it's a lot going on there. And we had a meeting here the other day. And we talked about a lot of things, but I asked the question, what is the most essential thing that needs to happen in this church? And I think what mostly everybody agreed to was that we need to grow as a people individually and we need to grow as a church. That's what most of the people that was at the meeting said. So, because you wanted to meet and you didn't get a voice. But I agreed with that. That we have to grow individually and we have to grow as a church. When that takes place, we will have impact. Because you can't, you can only impact people as much as your life has been impacted. You can only impact people as much as your life has been impacted. So if your life has barely been impacted, then you can barely impact people. If your life was really impacted, then you just impact people in a mighty way. So we need to think about that. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41, it teaches us how to get saved. Or how to become part of the body of Christ. Or, shall we say, the blueprint for salvation. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. It's dealing with us who are not saved. So if you're not saved, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41, tell you exactly how to get saved, how to become a part of the body of Christ, the blueprint, if you will, that you must do to consider yourself a child of God. Now, if you want to be technical, we're all children of God because God created all of us. I got that. But I'm talking about now the step that you take to become a saved individual. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41 tells you that. So if anybody is saying, how do you get saved? Remember, I told you, you can go to 90 percent of churches in our area right now. And if you ask an individual how to get saved, they will struggle or might not know how to tell you how to get saved. This church must know how to tell someone to get saved. If you meet somebody out there and they're struggling and, 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 and don't feel like they want to live anymore, how are you going to help them if you don't know how to tell them how to get saved? So we must know how to be saved. We can't just, well, you need to believe. Well, you need to go to church. Listen to me. Somebody can get saved and, 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 and be, a, and, and die and get out of here and go to heaven if we can steer them in the right way. Without the pastor. The pastor don't, is not the only one that can get people saved. So you meet somebody out, 
in the street that are struggling and having a hard time and they feel like, man, I just, I just need to end this. This is not working out for me. You got to tell them Jesus loves them and they need to give their life to him. And if they give their life to him, their life will never be the same. Well, how do I give my life to Jesus? And that's where everybody get met. That's where a lot of people get mad. Just believe. Believe what? That Jesus is Lord. Okay. Am I saved then? It's not it. You got to open up your Bible. You got to go to your Bible on your cell phone or on your stuff and say, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let's read from verse 36 through 41. That tells you how to get. And you know what that does? Right away they know it's not your word. They don't have to worry about it that you're trying to tell them something or coerce them into something or make up your stuff as you go. They don't have to worry about that or you teach them something about what your pastor said. You don't have to worry about it. You open up your Bible or you get on your cell phone or your iPad or whatever phone you got and just pull up the Bible and say, let me show you how to get saved. And if they follow that, at that moment, they surrendered their life to Christ. At that moment when they, when they have done all of that, and if it's the will of God, at the same, everything just transpired, they get, they repent, they get baptized in Jesus' name, and God filled them with the Holy Ghost, right then and there, if they leave here, they're gonna be better off. Right after that. We gotta learn how to tell people how to get saved. Cause a lot of people, it drives me crazy how many people are walking around going to church, feeling like they're saved, and unfortunately they're not. And then, even then, other people convince them, or the devil convinced them, well, God understands. Even if you didn't do it right, God understands. Not good. Not good. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, teaches us, how to live a saved life. So, Acts chapter 2, 36 through 41, teach you how to go from stone cold sinner to become a child of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, verse 42 through 47, teaches you how to live as a Christian now that you're saved. This is why we want to talk about the DNA of the church. We need to understand the DNA of the church because the church have a DNA. And we need to understand the DNA of the church. Remember, you are not a part of the church until you're born again, until you're saved. And so, the DNA, listen to what DNA is. DNA is the hereditary material found in all living organism. Say it again. DNA is the hereditary material found in all living organism. It's very important. It contains the genetic 
instructions for the development and functioning of an organism. These instructions are passed <laughs> from one generation to the next generation. Y'all kind of missed it. In our world today, they said every person has a DNA and everybody's DNA is different. Or your DNA, the only way your DNA can be the same is one in 100 million or something like that. But for the most part, it's pretty safe to say everyone have a DNA that, that only you has that DNA. Right? And so that DNA... Tell something about you. And so that DNA may not be or it is not the same DNA that you pass on to your kids, but it helped to make up your kids DNA. Listen, man. This stuff about God is out of control. If we really stop and start studying God and live for God for real, for real, and start going through the scriptures and look at life itself and say, what are you doing, God? You will be mesmerized what he's doing. So you can pass on. You have to make up your kid's DNA and their DNA is different, but you have to make it up. So when the mom and dad when get together and they produce a kid, that kid has uh, DNA from mom and DNA from dad and then theirs, so it makes it original, right? Makes it specific. But the point is, the kid has some of your DNA. So you're passing it on. Y'all might have forgot what you read, so let me go back and read this. Let me go back and read this since we forgot what we were reading. So, they got baptized. Now it's time to live for God. Verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. And it goes on. But that's not the only one there. Listen to this one. 39. For the promise. <laughs> y'all missing this tonight. I don't know if y'all are asleep because the cold's still in your bones. Listen to me. Acts chapter 2 verse 39 says, for the promise is unto you and to your children. So it means when you give your life to God, when you get saved, guess what? You have a promise that is going to get passed on to your children if you just keep living right. DNA! If you have children, so naturally you pass something on to them. And God said, and also, man, oh man. He said, you, he says, I made this thing so right that in the natural, when you have children, you pass some of you on to them. But I didn't mess up in any place because so it is naturally, so it is spiritually. So now that you see that you pass on stuff to your children, look at what am I doing. I, your God, passed on to you and now you're supposed to pass on to somebody else. They are your children who you pass it on to. Oh man, God, God, stop. So that's why we can say this lesson tonight 
is the church's DNA. This thing got to get passed on for people to become a part of the church. For you to be a church, when you do what you need to do to become a part of the church, now you need to exercise or live out what the scripture taught, which is the DNA of the church, in order for you to continue to be a part of church. So here's where we're going to go tonight and for you to understand. Dealing with one text tonight, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the only one I'm talking about tonight. That's the first DNA, the apostles' doctrine. And so the apostles' doctrine is discussed among us, but it's discussed among others. And what is the apostles' doctrine? What is the apostle? We've, some of you have been in church a long time. You've heard that. Well, what is the apostles' doctrine? And then we have people that say, well, the, the, the people that call themselves apostolic, they follow the apostles' doctrine, but that's the apostles. We follow Jesus. So right away, they don't realize that they just discredit the Bible. If you say we follow Jesus, not the apostles, you just discredit the Bible. Because what you're saying is what Jesus taught is different from what the, uh, the, the apostles taught. Come on, somebody. So, so when we say we follow the apostles' doctrine, what we're saying is these men that sit under Jesus the whole time he was here, they studied him, they learned from him, they slept with him, they ate with him, they were taught by him. Everything they had came from him. And then when he left here, he sent his spirit to dwell in their heart. And they now says, Lord, everything you have imparted to us, we go now and we're going to impart to others so we the apostolic church is saying we receive and follow the teaching of the apostles but I can just make it plain for you says we follow the teaching of Jesus Christ but because we want to be biblically sound Jesus wasn't teaching in Romans Jesus wasn't teaching in Corinthians Jesus wasn't teaching in Ephesus his disciples who became apostles started teaching. So if you're only going to follow Jesus, you're going to be in trouble. You might as well stop at the Gospels. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So if you're sincere, right heart, and you want to follow the Lord, you're going to have to follow what they said here in the book of Acts. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's Jesus' doctrine. But we're being technically sound by saying the apostles, because that's what the scripture says. And this is in the book of Acts. So get it, this is in the book of Acts. Jesus had now ascended to heaven. He ascended to heaven. And so now they are teaching and preaching the word of God. So who are we going to listen to now that Jesus has ascended? So that's why they can say in the book of Acts, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? There are some things that you need to know that represents the apostles' doctrine because this is what the apostles taught. So 
This is the solid doctrine of the apostles. So when you think about the apostle doctrine, here is what you're going to think about. The first thing you're going to think about is the monotheistic teaching of the word of God. The monotheistic teaching of the word of God is that God is one. God is not three. God is one, but the apostles make sure they taught so you understand the dimensions of God. They don't, they don't, because, because they say the God, the Father, our Father. It doesn't mean they didn't understand that the Father is Almighty God in Jesus Christ. And so, because they made sure they made the distinction so you can understand the, the different dimensions of how God operates, they never said that there's the Trinity or God is three persons in one. They never taught that. So we follow the apostles' doctrine and the apostles' doctrine say God is one. God said he's one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In John chapter 8 verse 24 Jesus is speaking. If ye believe not that I am the, I am He, talking about the Father, ye shall die in your sins. So if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God Almighty, the Father, that's manifest in flesh, if you don't believe that, you're gonna end up dying in your sins. That's the word of Jesus, not the word of man. Now that's a tough pill to swallow because people are saying, you know, you know, we like the, you know, we like to use the the the, the, um, the guilt trip on God. And 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 you know why I don't use guilt trip on God? Because when the flood took place, there were babies, there were pregnant people, there were old people, there were handicapped people, but when it was time to shut that ark, it was shut. So, if we want to try to say, God, don't you understand? Well, ask him, why didn't he understand back then? Why didn't you understand at the flood, God? And, and when you saw that old lady run into the ark, why didn't you just leave it open till the old lady get there? Why didn't you just leave it open when the woman was running with her baby? Why, God? That's mean. Well, you better take it up with him from back then. So, don't throw God no guilt trip. He been through that already. He said it was going to rain. He gave them 120 years to get their life together. And they decide they want to just keep on doing what they're doing. And parents, we know. We love our children. But man, if they keep on just acting crazy, at some point in time, we say, you can't come back here. (laughs) Come on, parents. At some point in time, we got to draw the line and says that nonsense and behavior you got going, you can't come in my house with that. That's a godly behavior. It might sound mean, it might seem harsh, but that's a godly behavior. Because if I'm trying to live holy and I'm trying to live righteous and you coming in here with all kind of stuff, I got to tell you, you can't come in my house with this mess. And that's no different from God, because that's what God is really saying. Y'all ain't coming up to heaven doing what y'all been doing down there. Y'all defile that earth already. You're not coming to come defile up here. Because as a matter of fact, you're going to have to come up here clean. Let me 
cleanse the earth so things can be back the way it used to be before we can begin to occupy all of this. God is a holy God. And he only can dwell in holiness. So if you are trying to keep your home right, you're not going to let your kids just keep on making mess. And when they start with their mess, we don't put them out right away. We try to work with them. But after a while, oh, no, you got to go. You crazy. <laughs> you got to go. Yeah. You got to go. And guess what? And, and listen to this. Let, listen to this. And when we say you got to go, that don't mean we don't still love them. Oh, come on, somebody. Right? Because it got to go really means I wish you would straighten up your life and get your life together and you can come with me and I'll help you as best I can till you get everything together and then you can go live on your own the right way. So that's really what we want, right? What we really want is for them to live right and, you know, keep hanging with us till we can help them get it all together so they can be on their own. That's really what we're trying to do. So when we say you can't come here anymore, it's not because we don't love you. It's because we're saying we're not taking this mess. And plus we love you and we're no longer putting up and making you, we're no longer going to be an an, an enabler. Because if we keep letting you do what you do and keep coming to the house, then you're never going to stop. So we back. God, God is one. (laughs) <laughs> there was no other segue to that. Just God is one. First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So God is one. That's an apostolic doctrine that you must understand that God is one. The apostles taught that God is one. If you don't believe and understand that God is one, then you're not following the teaching of the apostles and that puts your salvation in jeopardy. The second thing is, what they talked about was salvation. Salvation. The death The burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation. That's why in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, the Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. I know there are some places they don't want to acknowledge that baptism is important. Baptism is essential for us to do to become saved. There's a lot of reasons why it's essential, but here is one of the reasons. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and resurrected. In order for us to mimic that, baptism does that. The process of baptism show our death, our burial, And our resurrection without physically dying, without physically being buried, without physically raising from the dead, our baptism shows that. What do you mean by that, preacher? When it's time for you to get baptized, the first thing that must happen 
for us to get baptized. Most apostolic church don't teach you this, but they need to teach you this. That you must recognize who God is. A lot of people got baptized and did not recognize who God is. And so they struggled over the years to stay safe. But you must recognize who God is, that he is one and that he is the almighty and that he manifested himself in the man, Jesus Christ. Okay. So when you realize that, like we just read in Acts, you're supposed to realize that, okay, so that's the dude that gave his life for us. He gave his life so we would have life. Oh, man. So what do I have to do to receive that gift of life from him? And so that's where the baptism come in. That's where you now will die and get buried and then be resurrected. And so in the process of the baptism, what you're doing is you are repenting. That's your death. Repentance is death. So when you repent, what you're saying is, Lord, I have sinned and I have been living the way I want to. But today I confess my sins of rebellion, all of my wrongs to you, and I ask that you will forgive me of every sin I've committed. And Lord, I forgive everyone who have sinned against me because I want all my sins to be forgiven. When you do that, what you're really saying in essence is, I'm turning my life around. So the way I was going, the direction that I was going in, I'm turning my life around. I'm getting ready to go in a different direction. That's your death. Repentance is your death. When you get submerged under water, every time I do it, I watch it. I said, man, this is so simple, but so powerful. And so when you put someone under the water, they just go down like they just die. Like they get buried under the water. Like you, you put them down and it's like they are, they're gone. And then you raise them up out of the water and they just skin complexion change. We didn't put no soap on them. We didn't rub them down with anything. All we did was submerge them in water and bring them up and all of a sudden skin complexion changes. So we know something divine transpired. And then God fills them with the Holy Ghost, which is the thing that resurrects their life. And that's how we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection. If you don't do that, you don't identify with Christ as he went through that process so we can have life. So baptism is very important. A lot of other reasons. I just wanted you to get that reason. Baptism is important. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. Into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So Romans describe it here. Romans 6 verse 3 and 4 describe that our baptism is like the burial. We are identifying with his burial and his resurrection and walking in the newness of life. 
God being one is part of our apostolic doctrine, our DNA. Baptism for salvation is another thing that's part of what the apostles taught, so that's apostle doctrine. Number three, the name of Jesus. We put emphasis on the name of Jesus. Why do we put so much emphasis on the name of Jesus? And all these other folks are saying, what's the big deal? You know why we put the emphasis on the name of Jesus? Because God is a title. Son is a title. Son don't have power. God has power, but the authority behind God is not the same like the name. The authority is the name. The power of the name. What they says. Uh, 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 the, 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 I, I can't think of the word right now, but the, the power of attorney, the name gives you power. That's why, ladies, when you get married and you want to keep your name, you don't have no power. Go try to pull some money out the bank with your name. No power. <laughs> You can't get no money out of your husband's account with no, with, 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 without his name. So you need the name. So there's power in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, all that you do in word and in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. So there's power in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I love it how when we said, the Bible says, demons tremble at the mentioning of the name of Jesus. I'm not going to let no devil outdo me. And so if demons tremble when the name of Jesus is being spoken, then when I speak the name of Jesus or you speak the name of Jesus, I need to shake and I need to open my mouth because I can't let the demons outdo me. They may tremble, but I'm going to shake and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are King of Kings. I can't let the demons outdo me when they hear the name, when I hear the name, or I speak the name, there's something that got to happen in my soul. There's power in the name. How many times we hear that you never know what's going on. You might not know what to say or what to pray, but if you would just say, Jesus, demons, if they're trying to overtake you, they got to flee. Because you say, Jesus, they got to leave you alone. When you use that name, something happens. All you got to say sometimes is just Jesus. You don't know what to say or what to pray. Just say, Jesus, help me, Lord. Jesus. For all the people, I hate to tell them plain like this, but all the people that don't understand the importance of the name, that church has no power. If the power is in the name and the church don't like to use the name, they have no power. Paul I know. Jesus I know. They only know Paul because Paul used the name. So they know Paul because Paul used the name. And they know Jesus because he's the creator of all things. He's the king of all kings. And so they know. But the bottom line is the only thing that they're going to bow to and respond to is that name. And you got to know that there's power in the name of Jesus. And when you speak it, demons will tremble. Demons have to flee when you speak that name. 
You ain't never heard nobody trying to cast no demons out talking about. Get out in the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. That don't even sound right. You ever heard anybody doing that? Demons, you got to flee in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son. And, and they just laugh. Because you know what they say? You don't even know who you pray to. You don't even know who you're praying to. Talking about the name of the Father, the name of the Son. The, who is that? You out there trying to cast out demons. They ain't laughing at you like, you go, You ain't got no power. Get out of here. So if you're, <laughs> for you, exactly right. So if you're going to be apostle or apostolic and follow the apostle's doctrine, you got to know about God is one. Baptism must be exercised for you to obtain salvation. And you must use the name, understanding who he is. The other thing, here's the other thing. Let me throw this scripture in. This is always good. Brother Darrell got this scripture in his house. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 say, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't be saved if the name ain't being used. We got to be baptized in the name. We can't be baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It kind of irks me sometimes how some churches don't make a big deal about baptism. It's just like, ah, it's just a ritual. But I guess when you're baptized in the titles, I guess it's just a ritual. You're right. When you search the Bible, you know I like to say it, and I'm bringing this thing to a close. When you search the Bible, you know that no person has ever been baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost title. Search your scripture. You can't find anyone that was ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So for us to be practicing that, I would love to know where we got it from because you can't find it anywhere in the Bible where someone was baptized that way. Don't get quiet on me. Y'all supposed to be saying, Amen! Or do y'all believe there's some place in the Bible where someone got baptized? I mean, let me ask that question, you know what I'm saying? No place in the Bible. So we got to know that. That no one has ever been baptized that way. So the question will always be, so pastor, why we baptize people in the Titus Father, Son, Holy Ghost? Can you find any scripture in the Bible where someone, where it demonstrates someone getting baptized that way? I don't know what pastor going to say at that time. I don't know. I pray for pastor then. Speaking with tongues is a part of the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. Speaking with tongues. Remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sin, and ye shall receive the gift. So, Someone might say, well, the gift of the Holy Ghost, I can feel it, but I never spoke in tongues. I love that. I, I feel it, but I, I, I never spoke in tongues. You, you can feel the power of God, but here's the deal. Everyone that we read about in the scripture that received the Holy Ghost, 
they spoke in tongues as the evidence that they received the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is God's spirit dwelling in you. But in order to uh, have the proof that you know God's spirit dwells in you, you will speak with other tongues as the spirit gives you utterance. Because God will always prove himself. There's a scripture that said, prove me. Isn't that the, um, the, 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 um, the offering scripture? Y'all miss it? Malachi? 3 and 10? Prove me. See if I won't pour you out a blessing. You don't want to prove him? He said, bring me all the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. He said, and prove me. Don't nobody want to don't nobody want to prove God and say, all right, God, let me try you. We don't want to try God. But everybody that received the Holy Ghost spoke with tongues. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if you you, you want you want a scripture for tongues. I, I mean, I know you guys, you know. You want scripture for tongues? All right, let me give you some scripture for tongues. Let's go to. Um, which one you want to go first? Let's go to, somebody can go to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, uh-huh, there was with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Uh huh. And it sat upon each of them. Yeah, brother Henry. And what else? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So that was the first time man experienced the outpouring of God's spirit. They received God's spirit and they spoke with tongues. Now here's another one. Acts chapter 19, verse number six. Can we look at that real quick before we get out of here? Almost done. You get that? Let me know. You can just start reading it when you get that. Uh huh. So when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They spoke with tongues. So, because what my um, wife always say, I'm I'm in Jamaican language. I'm enough. I'm a whole lot. It worked for me a lot of times in a good way. Because guess what? If in the Bible, they spoke with tongues, I'm going to be silly enough to say, until I talk in tongues, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going, I'm not going to stop until I speak with tongues. Why are they speaking in tongues and I'm not speaking in tongues? Amen. Remember I told you all my testimony. I never forgot when people was going up to the altar and asking the pastor to pray for them. Pastor, my head hurt. Can you pray for me? Pastor, I don't feel well. Can you pray for me? Pastor, we going out of town. Can you pray for me? And I realized a long time ago, the pastor is not the one that's healing you. The pastor is not the one that's protecting you. The pastor is not the one that's keeping you. So I said, oh, in the name of Jesus, sickness, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of my body and set my body free. You have no right. You are not the creator of this vessel. Now I command you by his strike. To loose me and let me go in Jesus' name. 
I lift my hand up. I was walking around all good. It was good. Because I learned a long time ago that it was Jesus that was doing all that stuff. And so if Jesus is doing it, then why can't I pray for myself? Yeah. So, so me being extra, whatever the Bible says, oh, I need to live it. I got experience what the Bible says. I'm, I, I could not be a Christian if I read the Bible and what the Bible says wasn't happening in my life. No, I'm not no Christian if that's the case. I'm telling you right now. I can't do that. I can't do that, Brother Hasker. I can't do that. If I read the Bible, if the Bible had said that if you repent and be baptized and, and, and you receive the Holy Ghost and all that stuff and you speak with tongues, and I got did that and I didn't speak with tongues, I couldn't be living for God today. Nah. But, since God is true and every man a lie, <laughs> everything he says, I said, oh, let me try that. And so said, so done. I said, ooh, this is it. I found him, Jesus Christ, the one who was prophesied way back when. Because everything he says, it comes to pass. Ooh. Uh-huh. And because it don't come on our timetable, don't mean that it don't come to pass. But anyway, let me move on. So, verse, no verse. The, the final thing is this. Apostolic doctrine. Follow the apostle doctrine. The final thing is living a lifestyle of separation and holiness. Everybody always get quiet on that. Man, that's, my goodness. Help, help me out, Brother Sharp. You can help me. Brother Sharp will help me. Help me, Brother Sharp. When I say when I talk about holiness, Brother Sharp, just say yes. Or just say, praise God. <laughs> yes, Lord. We're going to be holy, Lord. We're going to be sanctified, Lord. We're going to be separated, Lord. I don't know how we want to be where the holy God is, but we don't want to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Why? Because everything un- about him is holy and where he stays is holy. Uh-huh. And so we got to live a separated life unto the Lord. I don't get into, uh, because a lot of the um, holiness teaching I want to get into, it need to be, you know, class, class. I want to teach it. I want to teach it. But understand this. This church believe in holiness. This church believe in holiness. You dress holy. You dress modestly. You, you don't look like everybody else look. You got to look. When you dress and you, you put yourself together, can I just say this when we get out of here? When you get dressed, all of us, the way how we look, all of us, is supposed to be, you ready? Jesus, how do I look? Amen. Jesus, what you think about this? And that's where we all messed up because we all put in our mind that we have, we're getting dressed the way we think is okay. Nonsense. You've been bought with a price. When you give your life to God, it means you've been bought with a price. He owns you now. What you did when you gave your life in baptism and repentance and gave your life, you said, I'm turning my life over to you so you can have control over my life. You know what that means? You're supposed to do things to his pleasure, not yours. So I know you like how this look on you. Oh, this look really good on me. Ask Jesus, what does he think? 
And that's where a lot of people go with holiness. They always think that holiness comes with their judgment. No, no, it's not your judgment. It's what God says. He says, I want you to be modest. Modest. He owns us. And he wants us to look the way he wants us to look. And here is the finality to that one. He don't want nobody to check you out for nothing but his anointing. When people check you out and say, oh, man, there's something about you. Don't let them be able to look and say, oh, got a nice butt. Oh, you look this way and you look that way. You got this shape and that shape. It shouldn't be why. Not as a, what I say? Woman, just for you, let me show, give you this one real quick. You try being a witness to some guy when you looking all. The dude going to say, so tell me some more about Jesus. And it's going in one ear and coming out the next. Because he's not listening for Jesus. He's trying to figure out how else to come at you so he can get you where he need to get you at. But somehow we convince ourselves, well, I don't see what's wrong with this. And I don't see what's wrong with wearing this and what's wearing that. And remember what I said. We pass things on. Uh, it's time to stop Bible study, so let me not go down that road. All right. So let me finish here and recap this to just tell you. The apostolic doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And so here is the apostles' doctrine in summary. There is one God. You must know it. You must understand it. We have to be saved through baptism in Jesus' name. Jesus' name is an authoritative name. And we, we invoke that name for power. We invoke that name to, to apply to our baptism, right? And so we must understand that. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. That's Bible. That's what the apostles teach. Uh, uh, and, 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 and when we become saved and we live our life, we're supposed to live a lifestyle of separation from the world and holiness. And the final thing we need to understand that the apostles preach is the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. Those are what the apostles teach. That's what's called the apostles doctrine. So when you hear somebody say, what's the apostles doctrine? What do you believe? I hope after tonight you can explain it to them. I hope you wrote down some scriptures that you can share and that you can teach and that you understand what's the apostles doctrine. It's not. The apostles owning the doctrine is the apostles teaching what they receive from the master. They lived out what they received from the master. But the master ascended, so they had to carry on when the master ascended. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your kindness and your love. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, let all that's been spoken here tonight resonate. And be imparted in our spirit, in our soul. That Lord, we will know it, understand it, and live it out. 
Lord, we give you honor and praise. As we go from this place, help us, Lord, to become doers of your word and not just mere hearers. Bless this congregation individually and collectively. In Jesus' name we pray. Make sure y'all love Donna up. Donna came back to Bible study. This